Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the Shadow of the GM podcast, with me, your host, GM Shadow. Welcome, everyone, to episode 13 of the Shadow of the GM podcast. Um, just a quick one today to respond to one of the call-ins I've had, um, and also to talk a bit about my recent live game that I played um, over Skype with some of the other anchorites. Um, so not to go on too much about it, let's move on to the call-in. Hey, Jason here, just driving home in heavy traffic, and I thought, well, what, what to do but give Barry a call. So... As far as the, your latest podcast and, and the difficulty ratings in Romance of Paris Lands, I understand what you're saying. I'm not, you haven't sold me though. It would be great if Scott would weigh in. Um, it seems to me if the, what you're saying is accurate, then why not just assign difficulty numbers, flat difficulty numbers to tasks? Climbing a slippery wall is minus six. It's not easier to get up, level, get up high or anything. It's a flat minus six for climbing a slippery wall. Why not do that? Because that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I'm tired. Maybe I don't know what I'm saying. But, but yeah, I don't quite buy it. So, yeah, if we can get Scott to weigh in and give us an answer on his thoughts, that'd be interesting. I'm definitely up for playing it as is. I, that doesn't bother me. I'm happy to play rules as is, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm not so. I'm not really sold on your stats going up like they do either. I'm pretty happy with the way that the Black Hack does stat increase. Even if you rolled for every stat, you know, I don't know. There's different ways you could do it, but I, I, just every stat going up to what is it? Every other level, or I'd like to say I'm in the band right now, but I, I don't know that I'm sold up sold on that. But anyway, um, I do know what else I was going to say though. Off a post I saw. At the end of our D&D one-shots, maybe we could do a one-shot of Shadow of the Demon Lord. Or we could do 11 one-shots and just do a campaign. Huh? How about that? So that was Jason there from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And we talk a bit about Jason quite a lot in this episode because he was he was in my, um, my one-shot that we're talking about in this episode. So to go back on the points he actually mentioned, I have kind of messaged Scott, a uh, message on MeWe, and he replied. He didn't reply directly to me. He replied by referring me to another post. Someone asked a similar question. And what they've kind of said is that the the point with the difficulty increase is a fudge, essentially. Um, <clears throat> what people have picked up on in third edition D&D is where I think it comes from, from comments made in the post into fourth edition, is that when you increase in level and your proficiency bonuses go up or your skill points go up and you therefore, in this case, your abilities go up and therefore, like, say, by 10th level, you've gone up by um, 10 points. So say your strength has gone from 12 to 22, that if the difficulties don't scale in just normal mundane tasks, you become quite uber. So you come up to like, like the cliff face and you basically just, you know, bounce up it like Spider-Man without any effort. And the feeling was when he was designing the game that that was a bit too overpowered, that basically, you know, there needs to be some sort of check and balance so that you can increase in your competency to be able to fight tougher creatures so that, you know, one hit dice creatures are pretty wimpy at higher levels, but then 20, sorry, like 10 hit dice creatures, say like the butchers and the maximums in this game, um, so say 10 hit dice creatures are tough and very challenging, like almost impossible for low level characters to get a decent challenge for 10th level characters. But then the sort of day-to-day don't say day to day but you know like your normal adventuring activities become easier as you level up 
um, but not so much that they're ridiculously easy to the point where it's kind of almost unrealistically easy, like you're some sort of superhero uh, rather than just like a really competent character. So if you look at it from that point of view, if all your stats go up by 10, by 10th level, then by 9th level, the difficulties have gone up by 4, I think. So in actual fact, you're still plus 6 better off, um, but you're not plus 10 better off. So the idea is it's kind of like a balance in that sense. Um, so hopefully that makes com some kind of sense behind it. So although the difficulties are increasing, and it's a bit of an arbitrary way, and it's one of those things that's a bit metagamey in how it's working, because, you know, in my mind, a flat difficulty makes more sense, because surely as you become more competent, you should be becoming more competent. I uh, apologise if you do that noise, but they start hailing on my car again, some more hailstones. Um, so you should be becoming more competent and it shouldn't be a case of you having to add this little fudge factor in. Um, I guess, it's, like I said, that's the bit of the system I'm not quite sold on, but I want to play it. Uh, it might be difficult with the one shot we've got planned, but we want to play it and kind of see how that pans out in play and see what kind of sense it makes. But I do sort of, I, I understand it from a design point of view now, how he's wise put it in there. Um, on to your other point about Shadow of the Demon Lord, absolutely would love to play that. I'd love to do more than a one-shot. I'd love to play like a mini campaign with Shadow of the Demon Lord. I think someone talked about doing 10 adventures um, to go up through the levels. And again, I'd be quite keen on doing that. It's a bit of a negotiation with my other half as to how much gaming I can fit in, though, um, given she doesn't get it to do much, very much these days. <laughs> so it's always be out gaming and she stopped looking after the children 24-7. Um, one of those, not through any fault of mine, I'd like to say I don't not offer to do stuff. Um, she'd just rather not for some reason at the moment because um, they're quite young. Um, but yeah, definitely up for as much as I can on one shots, and I could one shot forever and play campaigns forever. I could run like a game a night if you know if anyone would let me. <laughs> but as well, time and organization, I guess, barring on that one. Um, but yeah, so for now I'm sticking to the play by post. I need to get through. Let's get through the D and D one shots first. Let's get those done. See if we can get those in the bag, and then we'll negotiate on which other ones we can do. But yeah, I'd love to run some Shadow of the Demon Lord on that one. So thanks for that, and on to my next Colin. I like your style, Barry. I like your style. The um, arguments you put forward in your reviews seem very balanced. You seem to remain neutral, putting the for, the against. You do it in an entertaining kind of way, and I take my hat off to you. Also want to say thanks for your generous acknowledgements on the show and your shout-outs for Spike Pit. I really do appreciate it and hope you continue to podcast going forwards. I look forward to hearing what you've got to say. Take care. I'll catch you later. It's a call win from Colin. <laughs> it was there. Thanks for that. It means a lot to me to get sort of feedback like that. I mean, I, I am happy for people to also come in and tell me what they didn't like about my show. I might not put it on the air, but I will definitely listen to it and take it on board. Um, I probably would put it up, to be honest, quite like that. Um, I do try and be balanced when I do my reviews. I mean, to buffle on about my job as a pharmacist one of the things to train you about when you're looking at like you know you look at studies around medicines and things and it's about trying to pick out what are the pros and cons and try to risk benefit analysis around different medicines when you're choosing them so i tend to approach rpgs in a kind of similar way because you know you've got your own little feelings about stuff but you have to try and try and unpick you know what's an emotive response and what's actually you know something related to the system rather than necessarily you know like the game you're playing at the time or how you feel about a particular mechanism rather than how the game's running itself um, my style of doing things, like I said, I think I said it one of the other ones. Um, I, I just try not to be boring. That's the thing. It's like, you know, I worry that I have a boring voice at times, but that's probably more my wife's negative comments at times, which is giving me a hard time. Um, but it's about the idea that, you know, I could say it in a really flat, boring way. I don't think I'd really be entertaining. And at the end of the day, there's a hundred million podcasts out there where people review things. And so I could do it in a very flat, you know, rigid style that romance of the perils land a little bit. And I wasn't 
necessarily as keen or quite preferred doing my um, fourth edition review. That's kind of how I'd like to do things. I'd like to shake it up a bit. The only reason why I wouldn't do that with Romance of the Perilous Land, and I think I said it before, was that Scott's put a lot of work into it, and I kind of know him a bit on Twitter, and I'd be worried about if I did a whole, like, why it's the worst system ever thing, it might send off the wrong message. And when you're a fairly independent or fairly, like, you know, small publisher, then that's quite a harsh thing to do to someone. If you're someone who's writing fifth edition, fourth edition, third edition, you know, A, some of the people when we get to later editions aren't even alive anymore, so hopefully they won't take offence from the grave. Um, but generally speaking, I think they're a bit more robust. There'll be loads of people panning the systems anyway, so there's a bit more of a resilience, I hope, behind me saying that. And, you know, I mean, in theory, if you listen to the whole review, you'll get my, you know, why it's the best thing ever, over-exaggeration, my, like, you know, why it's the worst thing ever, over-exaggeration, then in the end, my kind of more balanced thoughts about the systems and what the pros and cons are around it when I've played them. Um, and so you hopefully see that there's actually a full-rounded message, and I'm not really being horrible about it. I just find that you know, people have these emotive responses to the things they like and they don't like. And I like to kind of sell those because when you play, that's what you'd be saying. You'd be saying, I hate this. Oh, why is this role? This is daft. This is a stupid thing. You wouldn't sit in a gaming table. And if you're at a pub having a drink talking about it, you'd probably go off and one about the things around having a balanced approach. And I kind of want to bring that almost like, you know, pub argument kind of mentality to it, dare I say, where we're kind of sat around having a few beers, slagging off a system or saying, why is the best thing ever? And why you're all idiots for not realizing it? Um, to that kind of review and kind of, you know, make it a bit more informal, a bit more interesting from that perspective because those conversations are a lot more interesting than reading a, a boring review I find and hearing people's opinions and that stuff I find much more fascinating so that's why I do it um as for the shout outs here no problem like I said before it's all your fault that I'm here so you know take that however you want to take that um I'm not planning on giving up podcasting anytime soon schedule kind of permitting I'm really enjoying it I'm really enjoying waffling on there I like the fact that there are actually some people ringing back in to leave messages about things it's quite a good to and fro between some of us you know bringing up things asking about it I like people suggesting ideas for podcasts because I have a list but you know it's not exhaustive and at some point I have to think about a few more episodes so it's quite good when people come in and say oh have you thought about this what, what's your thoughts on that and it gives me something to like springboard it off um, and the audio dungeon is quite good for that as well so anyway i shall stop again waffling as i go off on random side rants as per usual and move on to the main body of the show so thanks everyone so thanks jason thanks for calling for ringing in this time and now i shall move on to talking about my live session that i ran So um, on Thursday night, so it was since before the weekend, I played a short one-shot game with Shandy Andy from Unguarded Treasure and Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast and my 15-year-old son, William. As we said, it's the first live voice game I've played in about six years, I think since before my son was born. Um, so I've been a bit out of practice and it was a little bit nerve-wracking before going in, but I figured a one-shot would be quite safe to go into. Um, so what I'm doing with um, Shandy and Jason and also my son, I guess, because he's been dragged in whether he likes it or not, is to try and do some one-shots going through the editions from second edition through to fifth edition just to give them some experience of playing those systems. So we started off with 2E on Thursday and like I said, it was a one-shot. So it was a little bit railroady at the start, although actually I started a bit earlier in the session than I was originally going to um, I originally thought she'd just dump them at the dungeon itself but I know we did a little bit of a sort of pre-bit beforehand a bit of a chance for them to sort of like wander around and talk to people in the town and sort of prepare before they went out so I thought that was probably a bit fair also because if it came up I would have given the chance to use some of the non-weapon proficiencies in second edition it being one of the one of the big changes if you use them they're optional rules but it's one of the big changes if if you want to use them in second edition I thought it's worth kind of even though we didn't go to too much detail because it was a one shot kind of showcasing that mechanic that mechanism from second edition as opposed to first 
one of the things I can say about doing it was it felt it went reasonably well. I mean, they seemed to enjoy it and there was a bit of fun moments in there. Uh, one thing I did notice is that I do prefer when I use an initiative system of using the, you declare your actions and you add your weapon speed or your action speed to that dice roll and that chooses what segment people goes. And the only thing I did notice is this is a side effect of me jumping around additions all my life was that there was a couple of times where I asked people their action then started to resolve the action rather than just deciding it before they rolled the D10 for initiative. And that's a little bit of, you know, normally when you play a lot of the other systems, you own initiative, you get initiative numbers, and then you go count down the initiatives and then ask people what they're going to do. And then you do their action straight away. So it was a little bit of my brain getting a bit confused. Probably didn't help that it was about 11 o'clock at night either on a weekday. Um, one of those, but you know, I think hopefully that wasn't too big a blip. It only happened a couple of times. Um, <clears throat> It does, to my mind, slow the game a little bit down into you when you use that system. Um, so like I said, the way you've used that optional initiative rule for weapon speed is you go around, you ask everybody to declare what they're doing, and weapons will have different speed actions, have different speeds, spell have different casting times. And then they roll a d10, add that number on, and that's the segment they go on. So then you start at one and count up effectively. Um, and what it does mean is that actions, the time it takes to do actions has a difference. It also, in my mind, makes it easier from the old school style gaming to work out when someone gets a spell interrupted because if you can cast a spell quickly enough before anyone takes an action then that happens um before there's any sort of like damage etc and also you can play with the optional rule which i do which someone mentioned ages ago in another podcast that in theory someone doesn't start casting a spell until the dice roll they rolled comes up so say they've got like a two segment spell casting or five segment spell casting and they roll an eight then on initial numbers one to seven if someone hits them they haven't actually cast to start casting the spell yet some theory you could argue they don't lose it and people can always say if they want to interrupt a spell i'm going to hold my action until they start spell casting and sort of do it that way and that's the way i prefer doing it so there's less kind of like i think fudging and automatically losing spells left right and center but there is still a chance of losing a spell and um, also things around continual damage and things can disrupt it um, um, I have heard people use optional rules as well, where they make them like roll constitution checks, etc., or create a proficiency that are stolen kind of from third edition around concentration. But I try and keep it as simple as possible. It's simply that if you get hit in your segments between when you start casting, when you finish casting, you lose the spell. And it's up to any maze or players to try and use that you know, effectively. So they have to wait for someone to start casting and basically say they're going to delay an action in a turn until you know they can strike someone to deliberately disrupt that spell. It does also mean that you can, as a spellcaster, think tactically about to use a quicker casting spell um, to try and get spells off or to try and use some bigger, more powerful spell. It takes a longer casting time, depending on how much danger you think you might be in from attacks, etc. Um, so that's one of those things. So anyway, just to say about that. So as I said, it did seem to go quite well. There was a fair amount of almost dying going on. I did almost kill my son's character, which is always fun. Um, but to be fair, he did walk off on his own into a room and, you know, set off the creatures that were guarding a doorway. So I feel that was fairly justified. Anyway, it's a shame that he didn't drop further in hit points, and I don't mean that from a nasty way as I was trying to kill him, but it'd be nice to kind of showcase the death mechanic because second edition at its core sticks to sort of more the base uh, old school rules where in actual fact the main ruling in the book is once you hit zero hit points you're dead but it was the first system i certainly am aware of where it brought in the at death door rule which is one where you don't die to a minus 10 and there's rules for stabilization etc now that becomes the staple rule um at third edition and sort of carries on onwards with death saving throws into fourth and fifth edition but it'd be quite good to maybe see that and so that didn't happen so it's a little bit of a shame in a way maybe i should have you know hit him with a bit more to knock him out um <clears throat> but at the same point in time i don't want to automatically you know fudge rolls and stuff the rest of it just to kind of showcase the mechanics in the game um we'd have some interesting things we had jason basically summoning some giant well creating fly turning flies into giant flies and having a halfling rogue flying around in a giant fly uh, we realized afterwards when we looked back into it that he shouldn't have had access to that level of spell because he was a generalist cleric and that's actually nature 
um, circle, which we wouldn't have had access to. But at the end of the day, I wasn't really so bothered about that. It wasn't really the point of the game. The point of the game wasn't to get all rules lawyery about what you can and can't do in the second edition to that point of view. It was more about showcasing the system. And, you know, Jason picked up on himself. He said, oh, well, we had fun. It worked. It didn't really overpower and unbalance the game in any way. It added a bit of, I don't know, comedy and interest to it. Um, it's one of those as well where hopefully Shandy's not listened to this, but he has apologised him for this one. They had actually found a secret mechanism to lock out traps in a corridor, but when Andy still went to check that corridor for traps, and when he, because he didn't know that's what the mechanism did, it sort of role-played very much. It's just the noises that happen when you press that button. Um, but there was about five traps on that corridor, which would have been quite bad had they all been active, but he actually failed one of his fine trap rules, so I made it that he stood on what would have been a pit trap that would have dropped him onto spikes. It would have been saved versus death or die poisons for quite nasty ones, um, but as it happened, um, the mechanism in place, so the floor, they moved a little bit but that was enough to set off his paranoia and I think they all thought he was standing on a pressure pad to set off some other trap that wasn't going to activate until he came off so it was quite interesting and I like that from this is my little DM trick there that you know it could have just been a failure that didn't matter because he already activated it but I felt it was quite fun that because it had been a failure especially as like an 85% chance to find traps he managed to still fluff it on several occasions which was quite amusing and um, it was good to kind of add that bit of flavor so his character was never really in any danger and he wouldn't have killed him based on a failed roll because he'd actually pressed the button to deactivate it so he had done some good work there but it was quite nice to kind of create that drama the fact he had failed it so therefore he had stood on something that would have set off a trap and to kind of role play that through and it made it interesting so hopefully they enjoyed that even though I guess the danger wasn't there and it might be a bit unfair because he had pushed the button but hopefully you know they, if he does listen to this he'll take it in the spirit of the fact that you know he wasn't gonna have his character killed because of it well that was a one shot so we could have done um well i say it's a one shot i have created a narrative along the lines they're searching for the death, ma death mask of a character npc wizard called cargan the mad who purportedly died about a century ago because they're trying to access his tower he's got an old wizard's tower that's setting off some sort of weird magical emanations or summoning strange and bizarre creatures into the land that they're in um, and they found the only way to access the tower is if um, the magic door is magically sealed so only the master the face of the master will activate it and because nobody knows what he looks like and nobody can like copy his face they're looking for this death mask which was reported to be like an exact replica of his face to be almost lifelike and so looking for the mask um, so they found his tomb they found a ghost who was like a caretaker there who led them into eventually into the main room. They then uncovered, they found his um, sarcophagus, which they quite constructively, there's maybe two bodies next to the sarcophagus, which are meant to be two, um, basically other adventurers who've been there previously. They were more sort of there as flavor and clues for later adventure. Um, but they actually, um, Jason, quite cleverly with his um, cleric, halfling cleric, Odo managed to actually animate dead and use them to open the sarcophagus room. And I kind of like those things again. I like players are kind of like, ooh, this could be dangerous. How could I get around not actually doing it? Yeah, I think that's quite, you know, if you're in that situation, you probably would be thinking outside the box in those ways. You don't want to put yourself into unnecessary danger. Um, but unfortunately for them, when they moved out, they found out that the sarcophagus was empty, uh, at which point when the ghost went to have a look at it, he went into a rage because he was cursed to sort of tend that tomb um, because it was the end of it. It's a bit of a story I didn't get into too much detail, but he was the end of a family line of people who were there to look after it. And because he'd gone off and his dad and his older brother were supposed to look after it and they died before they could, he was actually next in line to do it because he wasn't there. When he eventually died, he was cursed as a spirit to come back and tend the tomb. Um, he was actually hoping if they found the body of Cargan, he could do something to try and destroy it and end the curse. And he was obviously denied that when he got there and found out the body was actually missing from the tomb along with the death mask. Um, so he went a bit mad. Could have been a nice big fight with a powerful ghost. Unfortunately, the party managed to go first and there was one round party kill which is quite a one round kill on the boss i should say where they annihilated him between fireballs and flame strikes and got a camera what else but they proper nailed him but you know at the end of the day good going on them for doing it and it was coming up to the, the time we only had three hours it was pretty much five minutes to 12 i think at that point in time so it was quite good timing around it 
So now left to the mystery of where has the body and the death mask gone? Where's Cargan the Mad's body? Where's it gone? And they do have a slight clue there of the bodies they found and the shields. We've got to use the heraldry um, proficiency to look and basically see if they could work out who it was. And they worked out it was from an, an old lord of the land whose reportedly doesn't exist anymore, but there are still some ruins and things. So that's going to move on to third edition. We move on to the third edition one. They'll be carrying on that investigation. That's my plan there. Well, I'll just do, I think, disconnected one shots. decided to wrap them up in some sort of narrative. So... I guess that's my sort of thoughts on that after action. And it was quite nice, again, to sort of you know, flex the, the DM muscles on live. I've done a few play-by-text, even live, live text games recently, but it's been a while, certainly, since I've done it for the experienced player set up a game together. And it was quite good fun. It was quite nice. Um, I guess with an older crowd, as I did my last third edition game, which surprised me, but it was third edition. It was quite a young audience. So we were quite in their early 20s, which surprised me for third edition. It was quite good to have a bit older. I mean, it was 15-year-old. He was acting a bit like a 15-year-old at times, trying to play a chaotic character in a very bizarre way, to be honest. So, But fortunately, I don't think it annoyed Andy and Shandy quite too Shandy, Andy and Jason quite too much. Um, around him so I have spoken to him a little bit about it, you know what he was trying to do with his character not to hold him off as such but kind of talking through what he was thinking with some of the action stuff but you know in some ways some of the random things did help them out because that's why there was flies in the dungeon otherwise they wouldn't have been in things but yeah it was an interesting experience and uh, I'm looking forward to trying out a third edition if I can persuade my wife to let me game again since she had a horrible time with her daughter whilst I was doing it so fingers crossed um, <clears throat> But yeah, that's the main thing for today. So next session will be, well, next episode will be about my review of third edition, why it's the best system in the world, why it's the worst. So that's quite well timed. It's about to go into a game on it. Um, I probably have a lot more to say on that one. We just spent a lot of time gaming in it. Um, so yeah, that'll hopefully be the next one. Um, sorry for the delay in these podcasts with the gaming and stuff recently. I've signed up for a couple of play-by-post games. I'm doing a Black Hat game with um, Josh of JB Publishing. I'm also in Che Webster's um, Traveller play-by-post, which we're doing at Rollgate possibly. And I've also agreed to run my own Boot Hill play-by-post as well, which would be interesting to try and get that one off the ground. I think we might be moving that one to Roll20, though, rather than Rollgate, because I'm struggling with the Rollgate interface. I'm not sure I'm too keen on it, to be honest. I might be doing reviews of virtual tabletops at some point in time around these things, Bam, but for now I'm just going to mess around with them. I'm trying to resist the urge to sign up to more games. I do really want to play on a dungeon fantasy game um, that's being run at the moment. So I think Che's running that one as well. Uh, I'm also tempted to run my own dungeon fantasy play by post. But again, I need to probably scale back and get off of the ones I'm supposed to be doing. Because as I want to play some ICRPG with Jason at some point, I'm desperate to give that system a go and see how it actually runs when you're playing it. Oh, and as well, um, Joe, uh, Joe from uh, Hindsightless is also running a Romance of the Perilous Land one shot, which I'm looking to play on too. So, you know, just, you know, quite relaxing days as they are. So, yeah, yeah. So again, apologies for the podcast. It won't stop me podcasting i will promise i will keep bringing episodes out there um, if you want to listen to them um, it just might be a little bit delayed between some trying to balance actual gaming with podcasting but if anything doing the gaming should help improve my podcasting because i'm getting myself back into actual playing games and running them and hopefully therefore it improves what i'm talking about and shows that i do know what i'm, I'm talking about so anyway enough rambling on now so i shall finish off and just let you all go so last things to say, if you want to contact me, please go on to Anchor FM and you can leave me a voice message on there, or you can email me at gmshadow at hotmail.com, or um, you can find me on Twitter at gmshadow. So until next time, keep on gaming. Mm-hmm.